Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome back to the Washington Weekly Podcast on the UBS and the Now Podcast channel. Our conversation today will bring you up to speed on a range of developments within the Beltway and beyond. Uh, joining me once again for the conversation, glad to welcome back Shane Lieberman, Federal Affairs Manager with the UBS U.S. Office of Public Policy in Washington, D.C. Shane, it's great to have you back here on the podcast here on a Thursday afternoon. A lot to catch up on as always, but welcome back. Looking forward to the conversation. Thanks, Dan. Good to be back with you, and uh, there's plenty going on, so look forward to, to joining you today. Absolutely. So maybe, Shane, we can begin with geopolitics. I know heading into the week, all eyes were on this meeting involving China's Premier Xi Jinping, as well as Russia's President Vladimir Putin. Uh, They met in Moscow, and there has been a lot of concern, a lot of questions surrounding this particular summit. Can you provide a bit of context for us in terms of the purpose of this visit and any indication as to what has been covered? Yeah, no, I... I feel like, you know, we just saw this um, uh, summit and so it was, you know, kind of uh, lost in time a little bit. So I went back and looked, and this is actually the 40th time that uh, Putin and Xi have met over the past uh, decade. So, you know, I, I don't think I really realized how frequently they've been meeting. And that is noteworthy for a variety of reasons. It obviously shows not only a strong relationship, but them purposely trying to maintain that relationship and grow it. Um, you know, obviously you see uh, Russia feeling a lot of uh, pressure uh, after their invasion in Ukraine, you know, pressure from uh, Europe, European countries, the U.S., you know, the, the West, if you will. Um, but at the same time, China is feeling a lot of that pressure from the, the proverbial West. So, you know, these two allies uh, continue to, to grow their relationship and work on bilateral issues, you know, the economy, uh, energy, et cetera, um, because they're somewhat isolated now from the West and they're becoming more and more reliant on each other. And I think that's especially true for Russia, you know, where these meetings are somewhat of a lifeline for Russia and really important. And you saw that uh, these two countries almost trying to portray themselves as the future. Um, but, you know, it, it's, it's, it's quite important, even for the small things. You know, I mentioned energy. You know, Russia recently became China's top oil supplier. So, you know, to an extent, China is becoming more reliant on Russia as well. Um, so these two trying to remain strong and, and together, I think, is important for both their countries. And, you know, how the, the world, you know, changes not only over the next year, but over the next hundred years. And you saw an homage to that as, the, as they were departing. You know, they, they talked about how together, um, you know, they can really, you know, change the course of the world uh, uh, history that's about to be made. Quantity of visits between these two is eye-opening. I had it myself realized that just given the amount of historical precedent, did the White House indicate any concern or from the vantage point of the administration, did this come across as routine? Uh, There's obvious concern, um, you know, especially when you take into account, you know, um, China is trying to present a, quote, peace plan in Ukraine. And um, that was obviously rebuffed by the U.S. government. And, you know, Ukraine and many others is not actually a peace plan. So, you know, uh, there's also, you know, kind of 
that uh, struggle right between east and west right now and and, uh, and i think the the biden administration is very skeptical of of um these summits uh, between russia and china but also very taking seriously because um as they continue to pair each other and try and play each other uh, off of the rest of the world you know it is extremely important to the U.S. and how we forge relationships uh, with our allies and try and, you know, get those allies to stick together in some of these, you know, uh, economic battles with China or Russia. So, you know, it is quite noteworthy uh, to the Biden administration, although they may try and downplay the significance to try and not uh, make it too big of a deal. Some interesting takeaways, and we'll keep an eye on this and see if anything comes from this particular meeting. But thank you, Shane, for bringing us up to speed. Maybe if we come back stateside, quite a few topics domestically to catch our listeners up on. I know we've been tracking the volatility in the U.S. banking sector and the federal response to it. You spoke about that recently here on the podcast. Now, I picked up on this a couple of days ago, recent reports suggesting that Congress is weighing raising the FDA. IC insurance cap. Any indication as to what kind of support this is receiving within Washington? And if it were to move forward, what might be some next steps? Yeah, this is an interesting phase we're in kind of in the legislative terms where, you know, uh, there after, you know, what we've seen in the past week or so, you see some lawmakers immediately run to their solutions before they even know maybe the stem causes or, you know, what is needed. Um, to go forward. And then you see lawmakers now, you know, uh, looking at different ideas and kind of bouncing ideas off each other. And I think this kind of fits into that category of bouncing ideas off each other um, and seeing if there really is any momentum to move forward with increasing the FDI insurance cap. Right now, I'm a little skeptical. It's not out of the question, but I think you're seeing um, you know, lawmakers, you know, take a look at it and then weigh the pros and cons. And I think, you know, while there is some support to increase the FDIC insurance cap um, further than $250,000, you see members on both the left and right have serious concerns about what it means, you know, um, in the kind of grand scheme of things of, you know, is that the appropriate account or are we just helping you know, quote unquote, the wealthy. Um, you also have uh, lawmakers concerned about what it means for, you know, essentially the insurance rates that regional banks may be struggling to pay with, or, you know, would that be passed along to the uh, consumer, the customer? So I think right now what I'm seeing is a lot of interest, but skepticism that will lead to it not going forward. And, and you uh, saw uh, Treasury Secretary Yellen also kind of downplay that this, the Department of Treasury is not pursuing an increase in the FDIC cap. So, uh, you know, a little bit early to say definitively that this won't happen, but I think the early signs right now that I'm seeing uh, point in the direction that the FDIC cap is going to stay um, at its current level. 
That's good to know. It sounds like a lot of implications tied up with such a change, but certainly we'll keep our eyes open on this story. Sticking with Capitol Hill, this is, it might even still be ongoing today. The chief executive officer of the social media site TikTok is testifying before the House Energy and Commerce Committee, and this is a very controversial topic with geopolitical implications attached. Any takeaways from the testimony? I know it's it's very topical at the moment, but Maybe, Shane, can you speak a bit to the prospects for a full-on ban of the platform here in the U.S.? Yeah, this this is a very interesting hearing, um, you know, and members from both the Republican and Democrat Party, you know, really took aim at the at TikTok and its CEO and pushed hard um, with, uh, um, and discussed a number of concerns, you know, from privacy to influence from the Chinese government um, to, you know, um, security risks. Uh, so, you know, they didn't pull any punches. They really, you know, pushed back on TikTok hard, you know, and it's not just members of Congress. The Biden administration told TikTok earlier this month that if the Chinese owners didn't sell the, their stakes in the app to a U.S. company, it would be banned. You know, I, 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 there's a lot of talk about banning TikTok in the U.S. I, I, that may happen, but I think it's too premature. I think, you know, a lot of lawmakers are cognizant that, you know, well over 100 million Americans have TikTok. And, you know, uh, they stand the risk of upsetting a lot of voters by banning it in the U.S. So there is kind of a balancing act here. And I think they're trying to push, um, you know, TikTok to to become, you know, insular from the Chinese government, maybe be sold, you know, and divested from ByteDance. Um, TikTok today tried to sell um, what they call Project Te- Texas, which would uh, involve hiring thousands of employees that focus on security data and house that data in Texas. So it would be kind of walled off from uh, China. Uh, lawmakers are skeptical of that approach. So I think, you know, there's there's more to come here, but the, the, the pressure and skepticism on TikTok is not going away. Sounds like this is not the last we'll be hearing of this. A lot of ways this can play out. So we'll continue to keep our listeners informed along the way. Maybe one more topic we can hit on, Shane, before we close out. This is with respect to the Biden administration surrounding the creation of domestic capacity to manufacture items such as plastics, chemicals, fuels, even some foods using a biological processes. So any context around what triggered this particular push and what what is the significance of this? Yeah, this is fascinating. Um, this actually stems from a September action from President Biden when he signed an executive order to uh, advance biotechnology and biomanufacturing innovation for a sustainable, safe, and uh, secure American bio company. So what does that mean? It's, it is um, you know, the White House trying to build U.S. capacity to make plastics, chemicals, food, fuels, et cetera, using biological processes. Um, and they see several benefits to this. One, you're talking about, you know, building an entirely new sector of the economy, which could actually be, you know, uh, several trillion dollars in economic impact to the U.S. Um, additionally, you know, uh, um, for the Biden administration that cares about climate change, uh, this could be uh, um, a, a great way to segue from 
some fossil fuels that are needed to to make plastics. Also, plastics, you know, are harmful to the to the uh, environment as you know they really don't break down and are not biodegradable. Additionally, I think a big thing is also supply chain issues. You know, and uh, this could go a long way in making the U.S. less reliant on other countries for supply chain. So. Um, this is this is really interesting. The question is, you know, how much is there behind this? You know, does this explode and take on um, a, a, its own life in the U.S. economy, or does it, you know, fizzle out in a few years and never really add up to anything? So I think this is definitely, you know, something for us to watch from a market perspective as it could be, you know, an entirely new industry that takes off in the coming years. Yeah, there sounds to be a lot of potential economic implications, so we will indeed see how this plays out over time. Though, Shane, as always, thank you for dropping by the podcast. Uh, Great catching up with you. A lot here that we'll follow up on, so looking forward to having you back again with us soon. Thank you, Dan, for having me, and, uh, you know, it's spring, so let's go Mets, and I'm looking forward to the Masters, and I look forward to catching (laughs) you uh, next week. Definitely, yeah. A lot of sports on the horizon to get excited about, so more to come there. But Shane, thank you again. Appreciate it, as always. And again, today we've been joined by Shane Lieberman, Federal Affairs Manager with the UBS U.S. Office of Public Policy in Washington, D.C. As a reminder to our listeners, especially our clients of UBS, please be sure to make reference to the latest Washington Weekly publication, which can now be located up on UBS.com slash Washington Week. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients, UBS Financial Services, Inc. offers investment advisory services in its capacity as an SEC-registered investment advisor and brokerage services in its capacity as an SEC-registered broker-dealer. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. It is important that you understand the ways in which we conduct business and that you carefully read the agreements and disclosures that we provide to you about the products or services we offer. For more information, please review Client Relationship Summary provided at UBS.com forward slash Relationship Summary or ask your UBS Financial Advisor for a copy.